I'll tee up a lot of things because as we're building our own brand as our own bourbon and spirits world, there'll be a lot of things that I can learn from this too. So I'll probably ask a lot of dumb questions that at least I won't have to pay for consulting advice. Oh, that? wow. That was a good trick. Yeah. <laughs> This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. So what attracts you to a particular brand? Well, for most people, we really look at it as the unexplainable underpinning that is also called brand mysticism. And I'm joined by author Aaron Goldfarb and brand icon builder Stephen Grass to talk about this very subject that they happened to publish a book on called, well, you guessed it, Brand Mysticism. Steve has a lot of feathers in his cap, such as being the brains behind things like Hendrix Gin and Sailor Jerry Rum. And these aren't typical brands like we see in bourbon, but this book is how to brand almost anything. It's a teaser into figuring out how to transform an idea into a brand, or maybe evolve an existing brand, and even some of the best lessons to take away from the book. Plus, we even dive into the brand mysticism behind Pappy Van Winkle. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from John Robertson, who writes me on Twitter. Obviously, with the bourbon boom, there's lots of FOMO with people getting in and not being able to find things they want. Any other spirits categories you'd see that might be a good go-to to look into now? Why, John, every now and then I go off on a little rum tangent. I wrote a book called Rum Curious, and that was kind of a you know a follow-up to my book Bourbon Curious, but in rum, of course. I love rum. There's so much value in rum, but there's also so much misunderstanding of rum and what is real rum and how the federal government actually subsidizes the likes of Captain Morgan and Bacardi. That's a story for another time. But you can get so much bang for your buck with good quality rum, Foursquare, Appleton, Mount Gay, Hampton here in uh, the United States, Richland Rum out of Georgia, Privateer on the East Coast. There's so many great rums that they're just not as as well explored as as bourbon is but those when when you get the taste for rum and you see how great it is you go in these spells of like you know you don't want anything else but i think rum is one of those another obvious one would be tequila but you know the thing about tequila is it's in the same situation as bourbon and you're not finding a lot of uh tequila fans being uh, excited about people coming over to tequila because it's as hard to get some of those really rare bottles of tequila as it is bourbon. And in fact, I'd say the tequila fan is pound for pound as enthusiastic as the bourbon fan, and the FOMO there is just as real. But a couple other places you could go that there's not a lot of attention on. Calvados. Calvados is a style of uh, brandy that's made from apples. It's so good, and you can find a lot of similarities in flavor profile uh, with bourbon because of the oak. And it's going to sound crazy, but I think there's a lot of value in cognac as well. Cognac kind of gets it gets lost in the sea of conversation because it's not as sexy as it once was. But I think cognac has a lot of, a lot of appeal. But really. If you're not going to go for any of those, I think it's best to go to scotch. There's a lot of great value in scotch right now, and the FOMO in scotch is a $20,000 bottle, and there's not many people in the bourbon community that wants to chase a $20,000 bottle. But, you know, the $200 bottles of bourbon coming up pale in comparison to the quality of most $200 bottles of scotch. So... That's uh, that's it. That's the question. I answered the question for you, John. I hope that helps. And if you'd like to be like John, hit me up on Twitter. Look for me at Fred Minnick. I no longer have a blue check mark, but you can also hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Until next week, cheers. 
Give 270's 2020 Unicorn Bourbon Raffle is back. Your $20 ticket gives you chances at our exclusive assortment of 20 Michter's products. 20-year, 10-year, toasted barrel finish, and more. And all names go back into the pot for a chance at our grand prize, a Michter's 25-year. Tickets are available until 7 p.m. April 3rd, with a drawing at 8 p.m. on our Facebook and YouTube channels. Visit Give270.org to grab your tickets. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Have you tried to identify specific notes in bourbon when nosing and tasting, but just come up empty? Well, you can train your nose to find all those nuances with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. So you can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma made from chemicals. Head over to noseyourbourbon.com and enter the code BP10 for 10% off your order. Always find what you love at Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single-barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. And with every bottle comes the confidence of knowing you just found something amazing. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia, North Carolina, drink responsibly, and B21. From Jim Beam to Maker's Mark, their brand and label are the only things more iconic than a bourbon's taste. And that's why we've partnered with Sticker Mountain, a company focused on helping you make a statement with your labels and stickers. Embracing cutting-edge embellishment technology allows them to add foil, raise texture, and more to make your product stand out, all at competitive prices with market-leading turnaround and customer service that treats you like a business partner. And that's why right now you can get 10% off your order with coupon code STICKYBOURBON at StickerMountain.com. See the difference they can make for you and your business at StickerMountain.com using coupon code STICKYBOURBON. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 a cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Just Kenny here today, riding solo, but I'm excited to be able to talk about two guests that we're going to have on the show. One's a repeat that we have talked about in the past. I think it was probably during the pandemic is the last time we had one of our guests on. But today is going to be an exploratory journey into brand building. If you've listened to the show before, you have known that Ryan and I, through our journey, we've been trying to figure out our voice. Who are we talking to? Who's the consumer? How do we find that right person? And how do we develop our, an overall strategy? And the guys that I have on the show today, they've written a book about it. They have started to try to figure out how do they dissect a lot of these components into digestible pieces that people can go and start learning and taking from and, and start building stuff on top of. So today on the show, I have... Our, one of our repeat guests is Aaron Goldfar, but one of the also the new ones we have is Stephen Grass. Both of them are authors of the brand new book called Brand Mysticism. So, fellas, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, nice to be here. For sure. So, Aaron, I'll kind of start with you because the last time we talked, I think it was height of the pandemic, and we had talked about, I didn't remember what the topic was. And it was, it was something, it was a bonus episode just to kind of talk about how things are changing the dynamic of scopes of things and everything like that. So give everybody an update about who you are, where you've came from, what you've been doing, what you've been writing about, everything like that too. Yeah, I think I was on a, a podcast with, with several guests and my Wi-Fi kept going out and I just, you lost me and it ended up, <laughs> ended up being a trick. I got my own episode instead a few weeks later when I, when I upped the Wi-Fi to a, a faster speed during the pandemic. I, I remember that that was the, we had our, our big event 
I think we had close to like 10,000 people tuned in for it. And you just kept going in and out. So it was a, it was a, my own brand mysticism for myself. <laughs> why, why does this author have such bad Wi-Fi? But uh, I got great Wi-Fi now. It's wired into the home, so uh, we won't cut out. Uh, yeah, the, the book we're going to talk about today was really mine and one of Steve's pandemic projects. Uh, we met in February of 2020 down in Philadelphia, down in his uh, offices at Quaker City Mercantile. And we started talking about, you know, writing a book on his life story and philosophies for creating brands. And we sold it during the pandemic. We wrote it during the pandemic. If we're still in the pandemic right now, the book just came out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that was that was really the uh, pandemic project for me. But I'm still writing lots of feature stories uh, about the wonderful world of, of whiskey and all the characters that are involved with it. I was actually looking and yours was a, a bonus episode that we did do. And it was journalism trends in bourbon is what we talked about. And if I remember correctly, now things have just completely changed yeah. in regards of, of just how bourbon consumers and the way they think is just way different than what it was. Because during the height of the pandemic, especially when you all were creating this book, it was a, a frenzy period. People were buying everything left and right. And so from your opinion, how has that kind of changed since the pandemic? Now we're a few I don't want to say a few years. We're we're a couple of years a little bit past it where people are getting a little more open. But how has how has that changed from the the journalism side of the things that of of how you've seen the consumer change? Well, you know, the first first few months of the pandemic, I thought I was never going to sell a story again because who wants to read about you know drinking? But actually, everyone did want to read about drinking, and I had a, a pretty good pandemic, and I I think Steve did too, uh, sales wise with his products, as as you mentioned earlier. I don't know. I th I think. The bourbon world has always very much existed online, and now even more so. You're seeing brands that barely seem to have brick-and-mortar locations and kind of exist in this online world, and you you need to do more things to stand out. We're, we're kind of seeing the infantilization of, of bourbon as, as flavors become more and more uh, childlike. A lot of uh, finishing barrels have, have done the same thing that happened in the craft beer world, which I also cover, where... You're, you're wondering if some of these people want to drink bourbon or want to drink, you know, ice cream sundaes. And I won't name any brands that are involved, involved with <laughs> that kind of thing. Finishes on finishes on finishes. Yeah, Is yeah. I, pre I appreciate your brand has, has remained uh, tasting like whiskey. Uh, that's why I like it. <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, you know, I guess things have been moving fast. Brands are, you know, it, we're in a, a three-year pandemic. If you started a brand at the start of the pandemic, you might have three-year-old liquid by now. So it seems like it's been one long 36-month year or so, but a lot of things have happened uh, since March of, of 2020, for sure. Oh, for sure. And, and so I want to take the uh, a moment to introduce Steve to our audience as well. So I didn't know much about Steve until I actually got hold of Aaron, and he sent this message and said, hey, I wrote this book about this guy that knows a few things about the world of spirits. And I looked in research, and you, the first thing that comes up is your Wikipedia entry, and it's it's the guy that started Sailor Jelly Rum, Hendrix Gin, and I'm like, those are massive brands. So I'm really excited to bring Steve on the show. So Steve, in, uh, in a few words, I kind of want to give people background about sort of how you got into the spirits world, how you grew up in it, and how you got to this point where you were creating brands and pushing them into really the, the next journey of where they go, because now they're folded into big parent companies as well. Yeah. Um, got into spirits through tobacco. Seems like a logical journey. Well, I mean, it's funny because uh, I've had my agency now for 33 years, I think. And um, for 20 of those years, our main client was R.J. Reynolds Tobacco. And what that did for us is it was like being paid monopoly money, you know, just like crazy cash. But normal ad agencies enter award shows and all that stuff, but nobody wanted to see our work because we were evil. The syntax. The syntax is what it comes down to. Yeah. yeah. So we took our evil tobacco money and started creating our own brands. And one of those brands was Sailor Jerry. And it started as a clothing company, but then we created the rum as like a hobby. And once you know it, it grew to be the fastest growing rum brand in the world. And we sold it to Grant's, I think, 14 years ago. 2008. Well, I don't know how many years ago that was. 
the one that sparks my mind right there is the, you have this, there's a connection between lifestyle, brand, and how they intersect. And so you come at it from a different angle because I think most people today, they look at something and they go, oh, I want to start a whiskey brand. I want to start a whatever. You didn't start off saying, I want to start a, a rum brand. It just developed into that. So how, do, how does that mindset come in to be able to say, we can, we can transform this into a, a whole other either revenue stream or just idea of product in general? Well, yeah. I mean, we always say that when we start a brand, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like a cosmic explosion of, it's like a big bang. Everything happens all at once. Right. So, but the light, it's not a lifestyle. It's more like a, um, who's it for? Right. So with something like Sailor Jerry, I, I didn't know anything about spirits when I started it. 1998, I think is when the brand came out and it was a t-shirt brand. Didn't know anything about booze at all. We had William Grant and Son as a client, and we did for them um, Glenfiddich in the U.S. And Grant said, come up with a gin and a rum for our portfolio. And so we created Hendrix Gin and Sailor Jerry Rum and presented them on the same day. But Sailor Jerry, I was smart enough to already own. I own the IP on that. Oh, there you go. Because I thought... If I turn it into a rum, it might sell more T-shirts. And it, of course it did, obviously. But it was an interesting thing because we had a very simple idea. So we wanted to make the punk rock Captain Morgan, right? So 92 proof. For a buck more, you get 92 proof, and it's a much cooler brand. And then we, you know, I don't know. I'm from Philly. Philly's like a raging shithole right now. Always had. <laughs> I love, love how the honesty comes out right there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's now more than that. We're, we're the Detroit of the East coast. Right. But, um, there's a lot of hard scrabbles, scuzzballs with tattoos and beards in Philly. Right. And I mean, for me, it's just who's around. So we kind of created a brand for that guy and then it just grew. And, and the way sailor Jerry grew too, was really interesting because we had no uh, marketing budget, even though we created the brand, like grants made the rum for us, but we owned it and had full creative control. And because we had full creative control, they were like, we're not putting a dime into this brand. You're on your own kid. So um, what we did was uh, we had a guy who worked for us at the time who was really into bands and he knew like every punk rock band in the world. And when they toured, came through Philly, he had them come by our store. We had a Sailor Jerry store. And he, they would come by and, and they'd all come in and take photos with the bottles in front of them. And then we'd load cases of rum into the back of their van and they would drive to the next city. So this is pre-internet too, right? So it's like an early form of viral marketing. So if you think about like the way we did this was very um, grassroots and organic and naive, but then it's grown for us into a way of doing business that is tried and true. It works. It doesn't work every time. It, it works most times, but that's what we've kind of put together. And that's what the book's about is like, it's the story of how we started these brands. Hendrix too, uh, d different story, but, but very similar in the sense that when we created Hendrix, you know, grants didn't put any money or support behind it until it got some traction. Once it got traction, then it became this whole global phenomenon. But, um, our weird grassroots method of growing things, which came out of the tobacco business because in tobacco, you are not legally allowed to do anything. So that's how we sort of, we always call it the marketing Marine Corps because you learn how to promote products without any promotion. And we've taken that practice and put it into the, the world of spirits. Yeah. So you, you basically said, we can't do anything with Joe Camel anymore. We've got to figure out how we, how do we go beyond this? Well, what we did with, with cigarettes, which was really interesting, is um, we really pioneered a, a new way of marketing, which is like, you know, this sort of underground sampling at bars and nightclubs, very different form of marketing. So I, I and then the other big client we had back in the day was Puma. Oh, yeah. We had Puma globally. But when we got them, they were a $30 million global account. And when we finished with them is when they sold to Gucci for $7 billion. But again, Puma had no money but they could do anything. So we pioneered a lot of techniques too, which we now call creative grenades, which were uh, just throwing stuff out into the culture 
and seeing what works. And we would like, you know, all sorts of crazy stunts that we did with that brand. And it worked. It worked on a global basis. And then we took all that weird stuff and put it back into, uh, into the world of spirits. And the rest is history. Well, I'm, I'm not going to ask you what it's going to cost to take one of those grenades for my own brand. I'm just going to sit here and try to leech off of free advice as oh, we okay. start going. All right. All right. <laughs> I guess a good question for you, though, is, is do you think today you could do with what you did with Sailor Jerry and, and Hendrix Rum? Like, do you think there's a possibility that you can just take some liquid off the market and create a brand and have it be a sensational hit? Or do you think today is a little bit different than it was back when you did that? I'm doing it every day, man. Okay. Of course you can. But the thing is, if you look at our products, we don't take liquid off the market. One of the core tenets of, of what we think makes a, su- a successful brand is that liquid needs to be highly differentiated. There needs to be something to it or something to your story about it that makes it different than everything else that's out there. So with Hendrix, it's rose and cucumber. With Sailor Jerry, it was 92 proof. You've got to have a, a story, and that story needs to have a certain authenticity and stickiness to it for it to break through. And then you need to be consistent and relentless, and something will, something will click. You know, it can't just be on celebrity, or it can't just be on uh, buying a stock vodka or you know, juice from somewhere and then just putting it in a bottle and saying that's going to work for me, because I think there needs to be something bigger there. You made a really good point because I have yet to still find any celebrity liquor. That could be tequila, it could be rum, it could be bourbon. That really hits home for a lot of purists and and people like that. Now, you had just mentioned that you got to break beyond that. I mean, do you still think that, like, are celebrities still a a good point to have in this culture? Or do you think think that's that's just faux pas now? We just did a um, tell them or do we have a great campaign paying out it's like celebrity free since 1892 love it or 1872 i forget what our year is it, it sounds like it's old it's all it matters anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's it's more than the past five years <laughs> i mean and that was that was our dig at conor mcgregor right because he uh he came out of nowhere is the irish uh whiskey but i i'm not a fan of celebrity booze not to say i wouldn't work with a celebrity but if if i ever did i would I would make him see the light or him or her see the light of that. Your personality is the least reason why someone's going to stick with this brand. <laughs> it's true because I'm sure Aaron, you review stuff all the time. We've all, I think you might even done a, an article on the top celebrity. I, I ranked literally every single one on the market back in, yeah, I think 2020 and there were 65 back then. There must be over a hundred now. Yeah, some are good. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a brand that sticks around for a while. I mean, you, you look at Casamigos, George Clooney hasn't owned it in like a decade, and that's still the only thing they're writing on. They're still using his image, I don't know, with or without permission. And people that don't listen to booze podcasts still think they're drinking George Clooney's brand. Well, you know, what happens in 20, 30, 50 years when George Clooney's long gone and, you know, no one knows who that is, uh, how's the brand going to stick around? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm generally with Steve on, on that, uh, point of view. Well, we're all in good company then. That's one thing we can all agree on with that. Yes. So the other question I have is, is how did you all come to meet? Because you all have some very different backgrounds. You're definitely different geographies. So how did you all come to meet? Aaron, that's your that's yours to answer. Yeah. And Steve hates Brooklyn, so he uh, tries to... <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Around, uh, I think, 2017, 2018, you know, Steve, Steve's actually a very humble guy. And until this book, he doesn't really put out that, you know, I, I created all this stuff you, you have in your house and in the, your favorite bar. But... Uh, you know, he has a a craft distillery in New Hampshire called Tamworth. And around 20, I think it was 2018, he put out this product, Oud de Musk. It was promoted as being made with beaver anus. It was actually made with this historical ingredient called castorum, which, uh, you know, I think pioneers used or something. So before you go on, is that on brand for Steve or is that you think in left field? No, no, I think that's on brand. Uh, it's on okay. brand. Yeah, it's my it's one of my favorite parts of him and one of my favorite parts of the book. But, uh, you know, I said, you know, who who's this guy who created all these hits? And I got to talk to this guy. 
we had a, a great long conversation. Um, I'm not sure if he realized I was interviewing him because he said a lot of a lot of great quotes, uh, which uh, usually people <laughs> people save the great quotes for private conversations in bars. I, and, I got in trouble for afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I wrote a story for Vine Pair called How Do You Make a Booze Brand Go Viral? And it was a mini 2,000 word uh, type thing that would eventually kind of become the uh, basis for, for the... The nucleus for the book, yeah. Right, exactly. But I'd never met him till that meeting in February of 2020. It wasn't like we were staying that much in touch. I knew his agent, Claire. And so I came down and um, yeah, that's how, how the book came together. Well, then I guess that's a good segue into it. What was the real basis of the book? I mean, you had talked about the the idea of creating these hits. I mean, is that the idea is to create a hit or is it to create a, a cultural phenomenon? Is it to create a, a long lasting legacy? Like, what is that premise? Like, what's that that core? All of the above. <laughs> okay, here we go. What's interesting about the book is the format is not traditional in the sense it's not a how to marketing book. It's a quasi somewhat of a memoir, right? It's, it, the format is because you have to go through the journey of how my creative process is so nonlinear and so not by the book that you have to go through the process of how I got there because then you understand how you can get there. Okay. So we go through the beginning part is kind of like, you know, how this all started and the book's broken up into two sections, before booze and after booze. So we go through this, what do you call it? Like a, it's a literal mind-expanding journey, right? Walkabout. Walkabout. Yeah, it's a walkabout. It's a mystical walkabout. And then we end up where we are now and how to, there's a lot of how to do it yourself, but it's not in a literal sense, like step one, step two, because it doesn't work that way. And the heart of it is, if you want to create interesting things, you need to live an interesting life and you need to like turn off the social media, crack open some old books and actually define what you find interesting and then use that as the basis as your jumping off point to create something interesting. So that's, that's the point. So it's kind of like the opposite or antithetical to modern TikTok lifestyles. But that's where the ideas come from. Ideas come from a weird place. I think they come from the ether. They come from a, a divine realm. And to access those ideas, you need to get yourself into a, into a mode that I guess you could use drugs to get there. I don't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're not here to point fingers at anybody. However, however you get there is how you get there. No, I mean, I, I, I get there by just constant curiosity. And constant, like, I also have a bit of a photographic memory in terms of, like, I know even, like, relative page numbers of books, things I've read of, like, I'll tell my staff, if you go and look at this book, it's around page 175, you'll find this image with a caption, and I'm always right. I'm like, I know where it is, right? So I feel but those ideas come from a, a, a weird place, and that's where, that's, that's the gist of the book. It's, it's a mystical stream of consciousness if you look at Hendrix, the way Hendrix was created, Sir Charles Gordon Grant, uh, who was the owner of William Grant and Sons, asked me to come to Scotland to see his gin palace. And I'm thinking, oh, gin palace, that's going to be like a palace. Well, I get there and it's a little garage with these two ancient stills in it. The stills are from like 1836 and the other one was from the 1860s. And I just, my mind immediately goes to Jules Verne, Right. Jules Verne, Victorian. So I go and ask him more about how gin is made and with the gin basket and the ingredients. And I, I mean, instantly go to apothecary and poison bottles and stuff like that. So it's like I instantly know what the brand's going to be, the moment of conception. But then it's about building layers of meaning and building it out until you have something that's fully formed. Now, what's interesting about Hendrix is I created that in, again, 98, and I still have the same creative team on that. So we've been working on that together for 24, 25, 26 years. I don't know how many years. But it, we're like the Rolling Stones. i got the same guys, and we all, we just know what to do at this point. 
it's like an unwritten communication. But what makes that brand so amazing is the consistency of it. And so it can get weirder and weirder as the years go on because we're not reinventing the wheel. And at this point, we've transcended. It's a big global brand. It's in every country in the world. Very successful. But a lot of time, brands have new brand managers that come in. They have new, uh, a new CEO that comes in. And they'll ask you, I'm going to put my mark on this. Hendrix has been able to avoid that because it's been so successful. And I've kept the same team on it that everyone's afraid to touch it. This is what I find interesting because it, it gets in the mind of somebody. That was one of the things I was literally thinking in my head as I'm going through here. Is like, how do I, how do I get my mindset into something like yours? How you you break out of something because figuring out a marketing story is not as easy as it seems. There is a, a whole lot of depth that goes into it, and it's like, how do you? Because you just don't want to talk about a brand. Like you get to talk about way more than that. How do you bring in? Stop thinking of it. Stop thinking of it as a marketing story. Stop thinking of it as a product. Think, think of it as a story. Think of it as a tale. That's why I always say, conceive of your brand the way Tolkien conceived of Middle Earth. And we talk about this in the book. There's a, um, a great reference, a book called As If, which was about the, the invention of virtual reality in the Victorian era and how industrialization destroyed enchantment in the world, right? And so Jules Verne was, I think, the first to create imaginary worlds with detailed maps and, and ship logs and all these things for things that didn't really exist. But it enchanted people who were distraught over their industrial malaise and took them and carried them into a new place. And that's exactly what we do with our brands. We enchant you and they become a fully formed, I don't want to say the word lifestyle because lifestyle implies like a fashion brand. It's more like it's a world. And it's the same dynamic that works with Star Wars or Marvel, but I hate that shit, right? It's more like, <laughs> it's more literary. It's more literary and it's more, and it's the same, like we talk a lot in the book about like, like Led Zeppelin or David Bowie who were incredible storytellers, but look at Bowie created these whole personas. And just when you, he took you to a certain point with a persona, he'd scrap Ziggy and start over as a thin white Duke. But that thin white Duke had this whole other persona and depth to it. And that's how we look at brands. And it takes persistence. It takes consistency, authenticity, and it takes you knowing what you believe yourself. So I guess another thing is how does somebody comes at that and they go, this is challenging. It's challenging to sit there and think, how do I, how do I reimagine my brand or myself 10 times over? Because is this something that you had mentioned TikTok lifestyle a little bit ago. I mean, is it because you're you're constantly fighting that where people only have a four second attention span? But how do you, how are you able to sit there and say, okay, I've got an idea for this brand, but I need to constantly evolve it to either the people that are the consumers, or is it just because that's just the nature? People need something new. People have something new that need to latch onto. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. When it's derby season, the city of Louisville comes alive, and happening on Thursday, April 11th, is the Republic Bank Kentucky Derby Festival's Bourbonville. This is the third straight year Bourbonville will take place at the Fraser History Museum. Enjoy signature drinks, 
bourbon-inspired cuisine, access to museum exhibits, and tons of other bourbon vendors such as Elijah Craig, Four Gate, Four Roses, Kentucky Peerless, Pursuit Spirits, Castle and Key, and so many more. General admission is only $75, and that includes all your food, drinks, and museum admission. Go ahead, buy tickets now at kdf.org for Bourbonville. If you think you've done everything in bourbon country, just wait a second. I'm excited to say that Pursuit Spirits is now open for visitors. If you're planning your next trip to Louisville, I'm telling you now, add a stop to our distillery because we're bringing you something incredibly new and unique. The first is something I call the whole shebang, because what else do you call a 90-minute experience that has absolutely everything? You'll get an in-depth history and tasting of the Pursuit United products, but you'll also get to take part in your very own single-barrel selection from Pursuit United Private Select Barrels. Rod and I have been on tons of barrel picks, and now we want to bring that experience to you. Instead of having a group decide on a barrel, you select your own, but that's not even the half of it. Now, you'll grab a whiskey thief and fill it straight from the barrel, then head to the bottling line to cork it and label it yourself. And if that's not enough, we also have the Pursuit United Breakdown Experience, where you get to taste all the components at cask strength and then taste the blend to see how it all comes together. Plus, we're going to throw in the oak collection so you can see what toasting does. Book your visit now at PursuitSpirits.com and hit the Visit Us button. I'm really looking forward to seeing you here at our distillery in Louisville. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. How are you able to sit there and say, okay, I've got an idea for this brand, but I need to constantly evolve it to either the people that are the consumers or is it just because that's just the nature people need something new? People have something new that need to latch onto. You ignore that. You ignore it. You just ignore it. You just do your own thing. You do your own thing. In the book, we call it the onion method. Okay. The onion method is layer upon layer of meaning. We always say most brands, when you peel off the first couple layers of the onion, there's nothing there. It's empty. With our brands, you pull off the first couple layers. It gets more interesting as you pull down the layers. Same with it. Same with any great book or character study. The only thing about, I would say about like social media or you know metaverse, those are just m- forms of media. They don't replace what the brand is. They don't replace the meaning of the idea. And I think that if you get caught up like in what a trend is or what people are doing right now. Like you could, I, I, I could find ways to adapt my brands to, which we do. I mean, I have a whole team that does Instagram and all that stuff. And the, but, but it doesn't change the idea that you take the core brand idea and you apply it to that medium as opposed to changing the way you do things to, to, to be young and hip, you know? Yeah, totally. And and I, I love the the idea of the the onions and the layers and how you get beyond that. As somebody that's a consumer, for them to be able to approach that and go beyond those layers, how are you getting them to that point? Because is it just consumers are generally curious that they want to know more about what they're drinking or what they're partaking in? Is this a generational thing? Because we can all see something from that outside layer. That's the easy part. But how do you guide them through that journey that says, we want you to go beyond that outside layer? Well, I think you need to design your brand so it works on many levels at once. And you need to design it for the stupidest person in the room and the smartest person that ever lived. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's quite the range. Well, because okay. the stupidest person <laughs> in the room needs to look at it and say, like, oh, that looks cool. Right? That's your, like, uh, you know, for your Homer Simpson. Oh, Right? But then the most intelligent person is the one who tried it once and says, oh, that's actually really interesting. What else you got? What else you got? What else you got? And they become your super fans. And the thing that you want to do, and what we've been able to do very well with, with Hendrix and with Sailor Jerry, with all these brands, 
is brands become hot because it's actually quite easy to make something buzzy, right? You make it buzzy, but the buzz, they, they, people go on to the next thing. Unless you've got something new to show. Unless you've got some new story or some new twist. So if you want to grow your brand, like, you know, make it like a, to a million cases one day, what's your plan beyond the buzz? What's your plan beyond the initial, the initial round of enthusiasm? So that's when it gets hard. How do you keep reinventing yourself? And if you look at something like Hendrix, what's amazing is even our retail displays get tons of social media uh, posts. And we took 20 years to come out with new Hendrix variants. But now that we have, some of those variants are bigger than the uh, fourth biggest gin brand overall. I mean, they've grown to hundreds of thousands of cases. It's amazing. But we waited 20 years to do that. But when we did it, each one of those variants is like a, a summer blockbuster movie opening. And we've created the Marvel Universe for the world of gin. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to be able to see that. And, and so, Aaron, as a question for you, as you're going through and, and covering this with Steve, what are the, some of those those great lessons that you've learned off of this? Because I'm sure as you were sitting there listening to Steve talk, you're like a sponge trying to digest it all. What are the, some of those big things that you took away? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I thought, well, I'm going to get paid to get like a, a branding MBA from from Steve pretty good. Deal. See, I, w- I figured we could do that in 40 minutes right here. That's what right. I'm going for. <laughs> right. But you're not, you're, but you're not getting paid. I got paid. <laughs> um, True story. All this stuff has now been ingrained to me. I forget when it was like stuff I'd never heard before. I, you know, I like in, you know, he's talking about digging into layers and, you know, I, I he likes to liken it too. And I, I do too, to actual pop culture. You know, how many times have you watched a movie or a great TV series, and then you go online and read about it. Maybe you go on message boards and it just starts adding layers. Think about the last scene of The Sopranos, the famous scene where where it cuts out, spoiler alert, and people might've liked it or disliked it. But I think a lot of people, once they started going online and debating it and talking about it, you know, it started adding layers and mystery and, and, you know, now it's probably the most famous scene in, in television history or movies and whatnot. It's one thing with Star Wars, why people keep watching it a a million times, even if, like Steve, I'm not a huge fan of the series. You know, there's all these characters, there's all these things. Now they're building TV shows and there's books and what's canon, what's not canon, but there's always something new to to discover for for these people. We talk about in the book how um, Tolkien spent like 20 years creating maps and and a fake dialogue before he ever wrote The Lord of the Rings because he wanted to have that much richness in the book and by the time it was released. And that's why 100 years later, there's still geeks that cannot get enough of this because, you know, it's something you can devote your life to, to studying and rereading and debating and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, if you create a interesting brand, I think you can do the same thing. You know, I, I don't think Julian Van Winkle was thinking about this when he created Pappy, but he inadvertently kind of did create something that people are going to debate and talk about and theorize about for the the rest of time. Uh, And, you know, you see that with lots of lots of booze brands, too. I love that you brought up Pappy. I kind of want to take into that brand mysticism. How do you fit Pappy into brand mysticism? I would call that accidental brand mysticism. (laughs) Right. Aaron, you can talk to that. You know more about that brand than I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, from what I understand, Julian was just a guy trying to scrape by, sell off some glut era overaged whiskey and, and, you know, keep his shirt and raise a family. He did inadvertently sell some of the oldest bourbon ever. He put it in a cognac bottle, which is not something anyone had ever done before. He put his grandpa on the label, which. Not again, none of it makes any sense. Right. That's why, yeah. that's why part of the mystique to it is that I'm sure he put it in the cognac bottle because that's what he had in front of him. Right. That's from what I understand. That's all he could source. Yeah. 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 And he put his grandpa on it because he couldn't probably couldn't pay for artwork. Right. Right. So it's kind of like, but that's how a g- great band might work. Or that's how like a, a really great indie movie that some guy made a movie, his first movie. And it's like this breakout hit. And it's like, how'd you do that? And it's like similar stories. So that, I think Pappy's just one of those stories where it's like, it was the first to do it. 
and the first to take hold like that. And I, there's a big part of, you know, the first in wins a lot of times. So the thing about Hendrix as well, it's like we inadvertently created the craft gin category. We didn't know that uh, when we started it, but we created something that was like a, not a London dry in an opaque bottle, the wrong size. I mean, the wrong dimensions, the whole thing. It's like very similar. We tend to say we make things ugly on purpose. And what that means is they're authentic to what it is they're, they're about, as opposed to trying to be good design to win an award. Cause an award's based on what's cool right now. Whereas if you do it right, you do it for the centuries. So good example is the original Sailor Jerry bottle. It looked like it was on your dad's basement bar from 1973. Ugly, terrible, terrible design, right? But it rang very true as authentic. Uh, we do, uh, we're part owners of Narragansett Beer in Rhode Island. And we've grown that. Um, I think we're the 30th biggest brewer in the country, which is, you know, significant since we're not have any major affiliations. But it's great because it's the, it's the New England working class ugly beer. But it's, you know? <laughs> it's, it, it, yes, it works. And it works. And it, and it, uh, but it's that way on purpose. There's a real trick to, you know, and, and for years it was the hipster beer in New York outpacing taps, right? Why? Well, because we, we, we never played to the hipsters. We did, we did it for, uh, we were always authentic to the uh, Rhode Island everyman, you know? Yeah. This has been great because I think this is, well, A, it's been able to explore another aspect and avenue of Mr. Goldfar, but understanding more about you and stuff like that. But, you know, for, for bringing Steve on the show, I think this is, this is really incredible and really valuable I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are listeners that are either in the marketing world or in the creative design world and stuff like that. And they look at something that you've built and, and they can probably relate to a lot of the same aspects and the same ideologies that you're, you're preaching here, because there is, there is something there. Uh, you've been able to, to capture a particular audience and, and whether that's through, as you were talking about just pappy just accidental or it's it's intentional there's something there that can capture people and you figure out what is that what is that driver what's it going to be and and i think at the very beginning steve you said it is it all starts with something that is going to be different that's going to take people in you know you, you mentioned with the rum being a dollar better say 93 points or whatever it was 93 proof would have better uh with the gin just having the different botanicals there's got to be something there that is going to make a different product that just makes it stand out. Well, and then bourbon, it's a little different, right? Because bourbon is bourbon. And you guys were joking when we started about, um, you know, birthday cake flavored bourbon and whatever. I don't know <laughs> if we were recording when we were talking about that, but, um, yeah, it's a thing. But the thing is, so we always joke in that in the world of American whiskey, it's, it's all beards and barrels. Right. And, um, there's ways to break out of that with your story don't give me a fake story. It has to tie back to something, you, you, something with the liquid. But it's also, you can, uh, you know, it's interesting with, with um, when you're building a portfolio of, for your brand, is there a different, something else you can do besides, um, you know, barrel finishes? Is there something else you can do? That, that, and that might not be your main brand, but it might be something that uh, shines a halo on your brand and that makes your brand famous. And then people sort of come to the main brand as your, as, as a go-to. So there's a lot of tricks within the bourbon world. It doesn't, if it's not new to world, it's, it's, you can take your existing brand and come up with a, a you know, we also do a Guinness. We created the open gate brewery in uh, first in Dublin. And then we created the same one in America in Baltimore. And we just opened one in Chicago. Um, and that was to create an innovation strategy for Guinness. Cause they always had a problem with, um, you know, is, is the global beer market diversified and uh, people had different tastes. Guinness used to be the most interesting thing in the bar and increasingly they weren't even there because, you know, people had moved on to the American craft revolution. So we created the Open Gate Brewery using old recipes from the 1800s from Guinness's own logbooks. And then it expanded now to the Guinness has an amazing portfolio of, of different beers they do. But what it does is it fuels the main brand. And Guinness has been up year over year since we've been working with them for the last eight years. So 
you can innovate on an existing brand. And hey, man, all your listeners, I'm for hire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's the, that's the best way to put it. I'm expensive, but I'm fine. <laughs> At least he's honest with it, right? At least there's there's truth in branding right there. Yeah, I'm a little cheaper, but I'll write a book for you if you need one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome, fellas. So uh, give one more pitch for the book, Aaron, about where people can find it, where they can know more about it, and everything like I that. Got too. A, I got a copy. Brand mysticism. Well, let's see. Mm. Yep. Cultivate creativity and intoxicate your audience. I always forget the subtitle. Um, it's a really fun read. It's a fun read even if you don't ever want to start a brand, even if you're not starting a booze brand. If you're opening a cupcake shop or a t-shirt line or something, I think you'll learn valuable lessons in here. And it's just an enjoyable read. You'll learn a lot about really the last 23 years of, um, of the booze world. Steve's lived through it. And, you know, there is a great chapter on cigarettes, which I really like and which hasn't got enough attention. <laughs> whole lot of whole lot of swear words, too. And and beautiful art designed by by Steve's team. It reads like a Quentin Tarantino script. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. It's like it's the Kill Bill, the booze world. Yes. yes. There you yes. go. There you We're go. working on Kill Bill, too, right now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Love it. And, and Steve, if people want to know more about you, where they can follow you. Uh, how they could hire you, how would they do that too? Well, um, my company's called Quaker City Mercantile. Look it up. You can contact me through the website. I am on social media, even though I bitch about it. My distillery in New Hampshire is called Tamworth Distilling, which you should look it up because we're doing some really interesting things up there. Oh, fantastic. Well, fellas, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show. This has been uh, a real honor to, Aaron, have you back on the show, Steve, to to formally meet you. And I think that we've uncovered a lot of cool things. I think that both of you shared some amazing insight into what it is to just think outside of what people look at on the label and they're like, oh, cool, this has got some raised lettering or this was made from some grandpappy's fictitious mash bill. I think there is, there's so much more to unravel and wrap inside of how do you build a brand and how do you tell that story? And as Steve had mentioned earlier, how do you peel away those, those layers of the onion? How do you create depth into something? And it's just beyond what you just see on the outside. So you all just really kind of captured a lot of that. So I would encourage everybody out there to go and try the book, give it a read, definitely go and see if you can build your own brand, whether it is cupcakes or cigarettes. We'll yeah. see what it is. <laughs> Cupcake flavored cigarettes. All right. I mean, why not? <laughs> I, there's, there's a market for everything. At Actually, day, right. We got in trouble for doing that. <laughs> I was there when that happened. That's so, in the anyway. next book. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there you go. Wait for volume two. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, hang on here for a second, but make sure you follow those guys. Make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcast. If you do like it, share it with a friend. It's the best way to be able to give the, the best word of mouth marketing and actually give us a follows as well. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.